Today, we have a person on the podcast that both Luke and I have been so excited to have on. Annabelle Hurd is the CEO of the music industry's recorded music bodies, ARIA and PPCA. She joined both companies in February following a 16-year career at commercial TV network, Network 10, where she held the role of COO. She also joined a music industry in a state of flux. On one hand, we had the rise of Australian music's Me Too movement, where untold stories were finally being told, where we were finally seeing consequences for instances of abuse. And on the other hand, we had businesses looking internally to see how they played a part in a culture that, to put it bluntly, was quite toxic. In her first two months, she started to challenge some of the behavioural norms and gathered a select group of music industry professionals to work collaboratively on just how we would tackle the industry's culture issues. In my almost 12 years in the industry, I have never seen that happen on such an organised and constructive level. Um, Then, as many of you know, Dennis Hanlon, the chairman of ARIA and head of Sony Music Locally, was let go from both positions. The announcement followed multiple articles published by Nathaniel Cooper at Sydney Morning Herald about allegations of discrimination, bullying, harassment within Sony Music Australia. So needless to say, Annabelle's first five months were amid the biggest industry shakeup in recent memory. I have been hugely impressed by Annabelle since I first met her. I've already seen the fruits of a lot of her labor and I know she's just getting started. I'd also like to add that in the history of Fear at the Top, the few women who are in executive roles in this industry have largely been reluctant to come on the podcast. So thank you and welcome, Annabelle. You've made me blush. (laughs) (laughs) That was the plan. very kind of you. (laughs) Well, let's kick it off. So tell us how you ended up to be CEO of ARIA. Well, I mean, who wouldn't want to be CEO of ARIA, I guess? I knew Dan Rosen. I'd known Dan since we worked together in politics many years ago. Um, I'd worked with ARIA sort of indirectly from Channel 10 because we hosted the ARIAs, broadcast the ARIAs a few few times. I'd negotiated with PPCA from the other side in terms of a broadcast um, licence. So I knew the role really well. Um, I had left Channel 10 a few months before Dan announced that he was leaving. And yeah, I saw his announcement. I was like, hmm, that looks very interesting. So yeah, threw my hat in the ring. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And what do you see as your career highlights from your work at Network 10? Oh, gee. I mean, as Chief Operating Officer, I took over um, just after CBS had bought Channel 10 out of administration and receivership, um, which was quite a journey in itself. Um, And we made some great changes out of that. We had a new strategy, a whole bunch of diversity and inclusion initiatives were kicked off, rebranded the whole network, new values. Um, So that was a real career highlight for me. And just a lot of reform that we we achieved over the years before that. So, yeah, it was great. I love TV. (laughs) So you're used to coming into a company where a lot of changes are afoot. My whole career has been in industries that are disrupted by technology, um, by structural change. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty used to change. And I worked for six chief um, executive officers at Channel 10. So yeah, even in that sort of sense, I'm very comfortable with, I'm very adaptable, shall we say. Yeah. Agile. Agile. Amazing. <laughs> um, what do you think the music industry can learn from the film and TV sector? Um, look, film and television is um, a really interesting business. It's 
going through and has been going through for a while massive disruption from technology but I think unlike music it never had that near-death moment that music had because of piracy. Um, TV and film has had a lot longer to realise that there are big changes happening. Um, One thing that I think they do really recognise is the, the fact that you know the premium nature of content um, and how valuable content is and music is premium content and we need to treat it like that. Um, We need to be adaptable, innovative, we need to get on as many platforms as we can, be where the eyeballs are um, and really focus in on the commercial side as much as the art and creative side. Mm -hmm. But yeah it's I mean you know music's done a lot better and it's really on the other side in many ways of disruption whereas you know, TV and free-to-air television in particular is still facing some big challenges to its business model. It's pretty interesting thinking about that. So the TV, the uh, music industry, like you said, near-death experience, it went from like private jets to poverty line and then we fucking fought our way out of it. Um, whereas the, you know, traditional broadcast is kind of like been a slow, like a yep. lot of slow bleeding out and like a lot of cuts. Yep. Um, Boiled frog or something. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a, I'd never thought about that sort of comparison before. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, when I joined Channel 10 in 2004, a long time ago, there were five free-to-air channels. Um, and now there are, what, 25 or something. Mm. Um, there's all the streaming services and everything is completely different. Um, but have the, have the TVs changed their business model enough to establish their future? Don't know. Not you know what's interesting? Yeah. Do you know what's interesting <laughs> Not about my that? <laughs> when streaming really launched, there were over twenty-five streaming services. Yeah. And now we only have a few major ones, so it's kind of done the opposite. Well, and you know, are these streaming services in television going to consolidate and aggregate? Because how many are you prepared to pay for? Mm-hmm. But it's different with those ones because they all have different content on. Whereas in music, you can pretty much pick one, and it'll have pretty much most music content, right? So Yeah, the exclusive quite different. exclusivity model where we saw with Tidal just did not work. Yeah. Where it has, it did work, in, it's obviously working in like sort of film and TV. It's yeah. just not working music, it's super interesting. Um, yeah. It, being on the other side of like ARIA negotiations, PPCA negotiations, sort of like outside looking in, um, what is the thing that uh, you were the most curious about um, coming into the role and what sort of surprised you and what, what what are those things that having had that outside exposure to it now that you're inside of it what, what sort of changed your thinking or surprised you I mean I there's a few things <laughs> obviously um, like every industry this industry is facing challenges and issues and problems big problems around culture and treatment of women and respect um, I guess I was surprised a bit by the extent of that. Um, did you, you were surprised by the extent, but did you know that it was an issue? Like- well, I knew that they wanted to have a female leading ARIA. Um, and when I started, a lot of people said to me, I'm so surprised that they put a, put a woman in charge at ARIA. And that surprised me because from where I had come from, most industry bodies were led by women. Um, so that was sort of a, okay. Um, I would have put it at long odds to have yeah. women in the I, I thought everyone thought there should be a woman, but I didn't think it was they, that decision would be made. Look, I think I, I, they were you know, pretty upfront with me that they were looking for a woman, and I don't think that's good. And I still think I'm the best person for the job, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's good that they recognised they needed to do that. So, um, so that's one thing. I suppose the other thing that's become more apparent to me is the insular kind of nature of this industry. And... 
you know, I've worked in television for a very long time. I worked in government. I worked in um, copyright. I know a lot of people across, you know, film, television, radio, digital companies. Um, but I didn't really have that much contact with people in the music industry. And sort of being on the inside now, I can see that it's really partly that's because of the insular nature of the industry. Um, and one of the things I'd like to focus on is sort of expanding those, you know, connections both inward from outside and inside going out. Um, because I think, you know, we really need to increase the value of what we do and, you know, the value of incredible work that our artists do much more with um, people outside our industry um, and, you know, our place in the economy more broadly. So I was a little bit surprised at that. But, um, yeah, other surprises? No, I'm not surprised that I've met so many incredible people. Um, that was a really fun part about the first couple of months of my job. I got to do a, Annabelle's tour of the music industry and just meet <laughs> amazing people. Um, we've got so much talent, yeah, and so many smart entrepreneurial people. I just want to raise their profile more, you know, externally. So, so two questions from that. Why do you think we are so isolated? Like, what is the cause of that? Um, and two, what is the consequence of us being so isolated? What, what harm is that bringing to us? I think it's the structure of the industry that has a lot to do with that. I mean, it's made up of a lot of small businesses, um, sole traders, small businesses. Um, even the big businesses are quite small. I mean, at Network T and I had a team, or I, you know, I looked after teams up, of 400, up to 400 people. Um, overall, we had something like 1,300 staff. And 10 is not a big company, really. Whereas even the labels here, it's in the hundreds, you know, of people and they're the big end. So I think it's partly structural. Um, you know, we, there isn't, in TV, for example, every network's got a big team of publicity people, corporate communications people, policy people, regulatory people. And all those people are working to raise the profile of those businesses, but also the industry itself, you know, in places where it needs to be. And I think, you know, I mean, Dan did an amazing job um, with government in particular, influencing and advocacy. But I do think that COVID has shown us that the music industry was starting from a disadvantage behind a lot of other industries when it came to, um, you know, we need help. We're really struggling. Um, we were starting from behind. That blew my mind when, yeah. when that all happened. You know, we were so there for so many other industries in crisis. You know, you only have to look at the firefight concert that happened. Yep. Um, and then suddenly we're in crisis and we're looking around going, well, but we put in all this work. You know, we did so much lobbying. We, yeah. we thought we had all these relationships. And Yeah. And look, I think, uh, you know, I've been involved in a lot of the lobbying calls and meetings and things, and we've done an incredible job with what we've got. Um, That's true. But... You know, we were really starting behind screen, film, television, even the arts, big arts institutions and sport, of course. Mm. I mean, music is not heavily regulated and it is not subsidised. And people and industries that are regulated and subsidised have to have in relation relationships with government. Um, but I still think, you know, we need to be more prominent as an industry. I mean, before COVID, you know, it was hard to even define what the industry was. Mm. <laughs> I mean... Does it include the promoters? Does it include ticketing companies? Does it include, you know, stadiums, um, live theatre? What does, what does it include? But I think one of the great things out of COVID is some of those, you know, we've really consolidated some of those relationships and come together and realised together we're stronger and here are some challenges that we need to address together. How closely are you work, uh, with working with Dean on that kind of lobbying? and? Very closely, yeah. 
No, I've got to, I didn't really know Dean before I started in this role, but we very quickly got to know each other pretty well. Dean, sorry, Dean Ormstrand from um, Abra. Yep. Yeah. yeah, just for the for the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I, I think Dean is a really great guy. He's very passionate about what he does. And yeah, we've been working really closely, which has been really good. That's awesome. Annabelle, can you um, talk us through how ARIA and PPCA make money? How they make money? Um, well, ARIA doesn't necessarily make money. Um, it does some licensing and copyright royalties, but it's quite small. It's an industry organisation, so it's a member-based industry organisation. The annual fees from record labels. Annual fees from record labels, the majors, all the indies, all of our members um, pay an annual fee. Um, PPCA makes... Hang on, before we go on to that, what about the ARI Awards? Is that a profitable exercise? Um, we don't do the ARI Awards to make a profit, no. It's yeah. really something that um, the major members and, well, all the members want to do to celebrate Australian music, to showcase our artists, um, hopefully help them sell more music, you know, have mm. more consumption of music, but promote promote their work. Um, but no, it's not a... It's definitely not a profit-making So is it a loss enterprise. leader or a break-even? Uh, look, um, we wouldn't do it if it was losing a great deal of money. Yeah. Um, that's the aim. But it, it's really not about the money. It's about, um, yeah, like I said, showcasing the artists. And we have amazing sponsors that help us do that, like YouTube Music, Telstra, um, D Destination New South Wales. So that's what that's about. It's not it's That's not really interesting and so important for artist listeners to know you know that this is it's such an, a beautiful way to recognize our artists but we wouldn't have it if aria didn't essentially lobby for money each year yeah <laughs> yeah that's pretty much it that's pretty much it um you know years like this year in particular are challenging because you know when we do have an actual event we can get some ticket revenue which helps um, cover the costs but um we don't have that this year but I'm not complaining. You know, everyone's worked really hard. It's going to be a great show this year as well. And, you know, next year it'll be even better because we can all be together awesome. in one room. And PPCA. <laughs> so PPCA um, collects royalties for the use of sound recordings from um, a range of businesses, from the big, from radio, television, um, to all sorts of businesses that use music as part of their um, business. Um, so, you know, as you know, you go into a hairdresser, you go into a restaurant and the music is such an incredibly important part of the atmosphere. Um, so people need to pay for that use of music. PPCA collects that and then it distributes it to all of the copyright owners of the sound recordings that are used. So how is that different to APRA? So APRA collects copyright royalties for the underlying work. So they collect royalties for the, for the composer, the songwriter, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, whereas we would collect music for the cover of a, a cover of a song yeah. because it's about the sound recording, APRA would get that get that royalty in because of the underlying underlying song. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Um, so what does the PPCA roadmap look like at the moment? Because I've um, heard from a, bit ma from a few managers that it's quite a clunky process to get the royalties to work out how much they're entitled to. Is there a roadmap plan to, I guess, make that a bit more of a transparent and user-friendly sort of experience? Yeah, so we do it. So we um, collect the information over the year and then we do a distribution at the end of the year to all of the artists and um, people who own the copyright in the masters. Um, it is only once a year. Um, we are developing a portal, which is gonna make it a lot easier for people to interact with us. 
But it's not that difficult a process. You sort of need to register and then we do all of the back-end stuff and then we send you a check. Yeah, okay. So, um, you know, the size of that check depends um, on many things. I mean, this year, for example, it is challenging because so many restaurants and bars and places that use music have been closed um, for a lot of the year uh, around the country. So we've obviously given them a a bit of a moratorium on their fees because you don't want to be screwing small businesses when they're already struggling. Um, and not so, using the masters anyway. And not so. using the music during that yeah. time, yeah. So, of course, we do everything we can to increase the amount of money that we bring in for our artists, and that's one of the things I'll continue to work on. Um, but, yeah, it's a really important for people who own copyright in the, in the sound recordings to register with us so that if you are due money, you'll get it. And the PPCA business is also non-for-profit? Yep. And so what is the... Um, what is the cut of the royalties that PPCA take for their operations? Oh, it's really small. I can't remember off the top of my head exactly what it is, but we absolutely keep it to a minimum. Of course, we want to get as much money into the hands of um, you know people who own the copyright as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, Poppy. Mm. Well, uh, we talked about you know how you felt about the Me Too movement as you were coming into the role. How. You know, it was kind of a bit of a, a, I don't want to say red flag, but that's the thing that comes to my head when they say we would like a woman. <laughs> that was a little bit of a tell. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, so the Industry Observer published an op-ed uh, recently and it was from this behavioural change consultancy called ACO mm -hmm. and they teamed up with Bastion Reputation Management. They do strategic corporate communications and reputation management as well. In it, they talked about a multi-staged approach and, and how we needed something like that. And they talked about workplace regulation, which you touched on. Mm -hmm. We're like a non-regulated industry. Um, they talked about a code of conduct and they talked about closure through a healing process. Obviously, it's an op-ed. They can't go deep. They can't say, like, this is the exact pathway. Yeah. But I just wanted to get your opinion on it and what you thought of those kind of um, those very surface-level pathways that were suggested. Um, look, this is a regulated... I mean, every industry is regulated around workplace safety. So you are not allowed mm. to sexually harass people <laughs> at work. Um, it, it's illegal. So we have the exact same rules in place as every other industry around that. Um, cultural change is really difficult and it doesn't happen overnight. And you have to look at what's going on, what are the causes for these sorts of things happening... Um, what is underlying all of this, and then you work out how to address it. Um, there isn't a lot of data in this industry, honestly, or research. Um, obviously, we had Jeff Crabtree's research earlier this year, but there isn't much to tell us exactly what's going on. I think I think that's the only got, one. I feel like that's yeah, the I, like four years he spent he spent four years on it, but I don't know one that's done a deep dive into sexual harassment and bullying and assault yeah. on that level. And and you're right, you know, that's the only one. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I think we have our own ideas about what makes this industry slightly different and more vulnerable to bad behaviour. Um, but like I said, it's not just this industry. And there is underlying all of this a sort of respect issue and equality issue and a power imbalance issue. But some of those things are exacerbated in music because so many people want to be in music. You know, it is such a desirable um, industry to be in, such a desirable job to have, that the people who have the gatekeeper roles have way more power proportionately than people working in a bank, you know. Not to say it doesn't happen in banks, it does. It happens mm. everywhere. Mm. Um, 
But aren't music industry workers so lucky that their office is <laughs> a festival ground, you know? Yeah. Um, but all of those places are workplaces, like That's venues right. where people are performing, photography studios, um, studios, recording studios, they're all workplaces. Um, so there's a, there's a part about enforcing um, that law. We need to find out what's going on. We need to do more work. One of the things that came out of that meeting um, earlier this year was um, the need to consult with the industry around what's happening to their people, what, what experiences have people had, where is it happening? Um, and I think that work is very close to starting. Um, I know the temporary working group's been working incredibly hard through extremely difficult and sensitive issues. Um, how do you get whole industry to come together to do a piece of work? You know, even the logistics of it is so difficult. But there's a real will there and they are, um, they've got something together that hopefully they'll be able to talk about a bit more soon. Um, but I think it starts with that consultation process, which is what happened in New Zealand. Um, mm. Then we look at the causes and then we look at recommendations on what we need to do. In the meantime, everybody in this industry should be looking at their own practices and saying, what do I need to do better? You know, what potential risks are there in terms of the people I'm working with? What do I need to do better? Where are the problems? You know, we're not sitting around waiting for this big piece of work to happen industry-wide. We need to look in, inside and say, what do we need to do? Yeah, and just on that, we were um, contacted by Support Act, who have partnered with a company that is offering free sexual harassment awareness training. Yeah, and great. we're doing ours next week. We're really excited Good. to do that. And I think part of the learning from that will be under, like what you said before, that sexual harassment and assault is a crime yep. and understanding what denotes a crime because a lot of people don't understand that certain things that they think are just perhaps inappropriate is actually a crime. That's assault. Well, it's just, you know, there is a sort of area where I think people need to be educated about what is and isn't okay and, you know, you hear, after Me Too, you heard the whole, oh, it's gone too far and now I don't want to be in meetings with women because, oh, my God, they might think I'm, you know, that's all crap. Mm. Um, but there is, there is a sort of... People do need to understand what is okay and what isn't okay at a certain point, but then you've got this whole area where everybody should understand, no, that is not okay and should not be happening. Um, but yeah, I think it all comes back to respect. It's really interesting hearing um, the discussion on the work that we need to do now. Um, my, I think Aria deserves a lot of credit for um, being the first to revoke Dennis Hanlon's award. That wouldn't have been an easy decision and certainly provide a cloud cover for all the other bodies who gave him awards to, uh, to revoke them, including our own TI award. Um, the, the thing that I find, th my initial reaction was when, you know, all of these awards started getting, Dennis, all of Dennis's awards started being revoked, including our own TI award. My initial reaction was, fuck, our industry is all hypocrites. Like we, we all, like the TI award, for example, our own industry observer award, that was judged by an industry panel that was completely independent from all walks of life in the industry, majors, whatever. Everyone at that time independently decided Dennis Hanlon should be an award. Most people knew what Dennis was like then. You could say that about every award he's been given. About I remember managing a really hot pop act um, many years ago, and I was sitting in an office of a very experienced artist manager and asking for his advice. Should I sign with Sony or the other two offers that I'd had? And he said, look, here are all the reasons why you shouldn't sign with Sony and basically outline them all for me. 
and include which is everything that we all know and why the guy got sacked um and he said but if you sign with sony i wouldn't blame you and i have as well and i ended up signing with sony so me signing me personally i feel like a hypocrite like i knew all that information and i still bought into that organization us as an industry we all knew all of that stuff going on for decades and we still continue to give him awards Thank him, uh, um, thank, give him thanking speeches. I'm not talking about artists now, I'm talking about even music industry people. Um, and my initial was like, well, we're all hypocrites. Like how are we revoking this award when we all knew that? But then I think the, um, the thing that I took away from a lot of talking to a lot of people, Poppy mainly as well, but talking to a lot of people and thinking about it is look, if we, if we just revoke awards and we virtue single and go, how good are we? Then that's, that's shit. That's like, that's not going to do anything. It's actually about the work that you guys are talking now. Mm. Like what are we doing moving forward? Um, and how do we work out exactly what led to that kind of bullying culture and how do we stop it um and i think unless we actively do that there are other people like that still in the industry now and are we just going to sit around and just be quiet again until something crazy happens in 10 years like i don't know if we do then we're i think we're hypocrites but if we actively work at trying to really weed out those people and shape those cultures i think is like really our job now the other thing that i think is really great about um the Sony's decision to sack Dennis was that it provides now a really good precedent. So the idea is that, you know, um, it was it was very uncomfortable for people to challenge somebody who was that aggressive, that powerful, and that bully. It's very difficult for it. Like there are people that did it. Um, I have friends that did it. There are you know the people that just didn't didn't take that shit. But not everyone can do that. It's a minor, It's a minority of people that can do that. But now that there is that precedent, I think it allows. Like, let's say hypothetically a new person takes a new role and they exhibit that same sort of behaviour. I think the precedent that we had um, where Sony sacked somebody that behaved that way um, now allows friends and colleagues and workers to just... Like, it allows them to just quickly go, hey, mate, you're acting a bit like the guy that got sacked a while ago. (laughs) Should you just call it a bit? And I think that... We've never had that before. We've never had a precedent before. And I think... That's kind of what I'm excited about, having the precedent. Um, and then I'm really excited about the things that you guys are talking about with how we're going to actually affect change rather than just do the, like, token act. Mm. The, the token act, I don't want to, maybe I don't want to undermine it. Like, it is fucking hard, especially Aria, who did it first, considering the chairman history. Um, I think we were second, actually. Always second. Q Music. Q Music. Yeah. Yeah. Go Q Music. So was that cloud cover for you guys then or you're always planning on it? I mean, the board made a decision. The statement says what it says. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say about Yeah. Can I go back a second? Because I think you were right in saying, yes, there are hypocrites within our industry and and we need to... And I'm you're And you're outing yourself as one of them. Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Can I just challenge what you said about Mm. the TIO award panel, the judging panel? They were given a criteria and Mm. they, they awarded... Based, Dennis, on, based on that criteria, perhaps you know that's something that we need to all add to award criteria. Are they culture, <laughs> or yeah. is it maybe it's a culture, a culture thing? Yeah, yeah maybe totally. it needs to be changed. I, mean, I think you need to be incentivizing good behaviour. Mm-hmm. That's part of culture change. You know, it's like I said, you can't change cultures overnight. It's a, the whole industry that needs to look at how it behaves. Um, I'm new to the industry, so I can't comment on what is or isn't standard behaviour, but um, it is about 
it, like I keep saying, it comes back to respect. It comes back to power and balance, getting more um, women into leadership roles, getting more people who aren't um, white into leadership roles. More diversity makes better decision-making, creates better culture, and that's what we need to start doing. But it does take time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What... Um what does the what does the RA board look like now? It doesn't have a chairman, right? Yes, Nat Waller is the chair. Oh, there yeah, we go. Yeah, Nat Waller from. Was that announced um, or have I yeah, been under a rock? No, it was announced. I'm sorry, it was I announced. From ABC Music. That. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's my my, that's on no, no, that's on me. I should have told she's you an that. Amazing chair. Okay, great. To work with. Yep. Permanent chair. Yep. Oh, fantastic. So, I guess what a. How different are board meetings now? Are they different at all? Like, what was uh, you know new board, new chair versus old chair? Like, what is the? Is there a different environment? I'm not really going to get into private board discussions and how they go, but um, you know, the, Nat's doing a great job. She's uh, wonderful. Had an incredible career in the music industry. She's on the board of the Country Music Association, like the the actual US country music. Like to Amazing. me, that's just so cool. Yeah, I'd love to be on the inside of one of those board meetings. Um, but we're all very much focused on the future. And, uh, you know, I've been pretty clear on what my priorities are since I've been in this job. I've got the full backing of the board, um, very enthusiastic. And I think you'll see, you know, both this year, even in, in a slightly different year in the Arias and Aria Week, you'll see that kind of coming through. That's awesome. Yeah. I'd love to understand, like, the scope of your, um, like, how you interface with the board. So, like, what are the decisions and day-to-day of your work that is just, I'm the CEO, I'm doing it, first I've got to take this to the board. Yeah, so in traditional kind of corporate governance, the board is about um, overseeing certain parts of the organisation, overseeing the um, correct sort of governance of it, providing strategic direction. But the day-to-day management of things is left to the CEO and the executive. And my chief operating officer, Lynn Small, who's been in this industry for a long time, who's amazing, um, and I work really closely together to run both of those organisations. Um, but the boards provide oversight and sort of, you know, we get together and talk about strategy and that sort of thing. So. How often do you guys meet? Uh, how often do we meet? Oh, four or five times a year, I think. Okay. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> Fair enough. Bobby. No, that's that's awesome. And yeah, the girls. Look at all these yeah. women running the show. I love that. It is um, I want to ask about something that's been grinding my ears. So there's been a bit of... Um, social media and op-ed campaigns against ARIA. And I don't get it. And I just want to know if, from my point of view, I don't get it. Be- I should explain myself, shouldn't I? I shouldn't just say I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it because we have someone Can who, I just ask what is the criticism? The criticism is ARIA should have known about the cultural issues. Why aren't they doing more? It's, okay, yep. I'm Continue. confused. Continue. I'm very yep. confused. I'm equally confused because we have someone who's not from the music industry entering the music industry, brand new. We also have people who are making these criticisms who have previously had platforms where they could have called this stuff out. Um, And they're criticising a woman who is doing incredible things for (laughs) our culture, in my opinion. So were you surprised when... I I. Were you ready to face this much scrutiny and politics and were you surprised by these things? I am. um, Okay, there's a few things in there. Generally speaking, I was really, you know, a little bit surprised at the high level of engagement with um, what ARIA does and what ARIA says. But Mm -hmm. I think that's a really great thing in many ways because there's huge engagement from the industry. People care. Like the worst thing would be if people just didn't care or there was indifference. Mm -hmm. What's that thing like indifference is worse than hate, right? So 
relevance is fantastic and that you know gives me energy to make me realize that things I do are important to the industry things Aria does is important to the industry you're always going to have your detractors and this is such a difficult sensitive area I totally understand why people have strong emotions and strong feelings um, I have tried to talk to as many people as I can who've been doing this work over the years and there have been many women and some men who have been working in this area for a long time. Um, so their opinions matter to me. The, the opinions of victims matter to me. The opinions of people who've been working in these environments matter to me. Um, do the opinions of older white men <laughs> matter to me? Not always. Mm. <laughs> um, but, you know, people are allowed to say what they want to say and um, that's fair enough. And, you know, in some ways, when I see something like that, I, it does make me say to myself, am I doing enough? You know, am I doing enough? Um, is there something else I can do that's going to be, you know, helpful or, or positive or move things forward faster? So it's fine. I'm a grown up. You know, I'm tough. I love that. Really, what's yeah. really interesting is that, like, you can do, you know, if you came in and decided to do nothing, you know, you'd be any leader comes in and does nothing. They get criticised for doing nothing. Yeah. Then they go and do something, and then they get crazy criticism by how they're doing it. <laughs> and it's like, doesn't matter which way you go, you, you, there's always going to be an assault. Um, exactly. And I, yeah. And, and I, so with social media, you know, it's so easy to get up there and fire something off. And I mean, for me, action is more important than statements. Right. Anyone can get up and make a statement about something. But what is really important is, is the underlying change happening, is the underlying work being done. And that's the hard part. That is the really difficult part. So mm. sure, if nothing's happened in X amount of time, get up and have a go, totally. Um, but yeah. We were recently lucky enough to chat to Keith Urban for our recent magazine oh, cool. cover um, for Rolling Stone. And he said that he's learned more from his detractors and that his detractors fuel him more than anyone else. It's that thing, isn't it, that like you can see all this lovely stuff and positive commentary and, you know, and it's the one critical thing that will stick in your head and burn through, you know, the night. And drive you, though, sometimes. And drive you. Yeah. And that's what I meant by like, you know, you look at it and go, mm, is there any, cred you know, is there any validity to what they're saying? Yes, maybe, no. Well, well, let it brush over me, you know. Mm. You can't please everybody. Yeah, discerning the facts is important. Discerning the facts is important and also there's different ways to do things as well. You know, do, people have different opinions about how things should be done and, um, yeah. I, I mean, I think, I, I do think there, there should be a respectful dialogue about this particular issue. Um, a lot of people are trying to do the right thing. It's very easy to, you know, say something or, um, you know, unintentionally do something that people might not agree with. But I think we really need to take a step back and look at intention. Um, you know, I think if we did that, there'd be a lot more respectful conversation and we'd be able to lift ourselves up a bit, Yeah. get more done. And you would think as an industry as a whole that our overall intention is to have a better place to work in. And, yeah, absolutely. And I just get so much um, positive energy from people I've met because it's good people. You know, there are a lot of really great people in this industry and they're here for a reason. You know, they are, it's like a vocation. It's not like other industries I've worked in. But, yeah, sure, people love TV. But it's not like music where you go into music because that's what you've always wanted to do and you would never do anything else, you know. Um, so people are here for a reason. But 
what I think we need to recognise is we have a common purpose, but we all need to be enjoying the experience, you know. And at the moment, I think some people have been enjoying the experience and maybe others haven't been. Mm. But if we can find that common connection where, you know, I think that's going to be a really important way for us all to move forward together. Mm. God, it sounds like a, you know, let's all hold hands and <laughs> sing hymns or something. I'm happy to do that. If that's what it takes, I'm in. Um, Annabelle, can you share with us uh, how you're being KPI'd or how the board will assess if you're doing a good job or a bad job and, you know, what, is, what are the sort of KPIs of the CEO oh of God, This is very CA? detailed um, interrogation. This is hard. Have you met Luke? Oh, no, you haven't met Luke. No, <laughs> this is him. Yeah. Are you um, secretly doing a bit Dean, of a performance uh, review here? Dean had, the, uh, <laughs> Dean had the same answer. So, oh, Dean, right. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, My KPIs. Look, ARIA is about um, promoting the music industry more broadly, um, advocacy, lobbying, um, getting good outcomes. It's about showcasing Australian music and Australian artists. Um, and it's about, you know, highlighting um, copyright infringement, making sure that, you know, where people own copyright in musical works that they're getting um, their full, you know, economic remuneration that they deserve from creating that work. So the sort of copyright lobbying and then the big sort of, uh, you know, it's sort of a marketing thing, but it's bigger than that. It's really about making um increasing the value of the australian music industry i guess so those are kind of the high level kpis mm. if you wanted to get into detail about budgets i think that'd be quite boring for your listeners but <laughs> so are budgets a part of that so oh, budgets are always a part yeah. of kpis yes yeah. yes they absolutely are yeah cool um, but not in a very so interesting that means, way <laughs> but does that mean that revenue growth then is is a focus oh it's just about cost yeah no it's it's just the basic there's nothing yeah. exciting or interesting about our budget stuff like we're not a business aria is not a business it's an industry body ppca is a collecting society so mm. they're quite they're quite different but one thing i'm really interested in for music is what are the ways that as an industry we can grow revenue you know where is the technology going to take us next um, where's the innovation, all of that sort of thing. You know, how do we get ahead of the next technological disruption rather than having it happen to us? Like it kind of did with streaming. Yeah. In a good, I mean, in a good way. It's great that it's so, happened. So do you have any preliminary do answers have the to answers? those questions? Yeah, sure. Well, here's my plan. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's, I think overall what ARIA can do is provide more of an education service, bring more people together to do um, what Chad and Comerford described to me the other day as cohort learning, which I loved the idea of. You know, people kind of learn better together. And, and that's another way to bring the industry together, something ARIA can do, you know, bring perhaps some outside experts around, you know, technology, business development, strategy, um, people who understand what the trends are overseas, um, connectivity changes, all that sort of stuff, bring them together and let's, as an industry workshop, how are we going to lift ourselves up? Um, you know, how do we get more government support for research and development and innovation? That sort of thing. Oh, that's fantastic. And that kind of answers your question around how can the music industry collaborate more with companies absolutely. and sectors outside yep, of it? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, because they have a lot to learn from us. But similarly, we have a lot to learn from them. them. And it comes back to that industry structure thing as, as well. Um, big businesses spend a lot of money on consultants um, and consultants often have a lot of this expertise that they then bring in and share with those businesses. Whereas in music, you know, the businesses aren't really of a size to afford those mega fees from, you know, the big consultancy firms. Um, but, you know, we can work through that. Yeah. All right, I'll ask you a less nerdy question. What about... Um, <laughs> 
Tell us about the party, the ARI Awards. How the do you party. see that? How do you see that changing or evolving over the next sort of five years, decade? I think we, um, you know, the critical thing about the ARI Awards is relevance. And I think Dan did an amazing job of um, building the brand, getting some amazing sponsors on board, getting that relevance, getting back on television. And, you know, whilst people think TV is kind of declining it is still incredibly important because that is where premium content still goes it's also really important for sponsors but it's also really important for our artists you know um can i can i ask on the tv side um is that the reason why we always need a big international artist to play at the arias because that's what the broadcasters want i mean you know one of the things we want to do with the arias it's kind of got a few different objectives right it's got to be for the industry but it's also our biggest night with the general public and what we want to do is use the big international artists who are amazing and we love seeing them and listening to them perform to bring the spotlight onto our emerging artists and our Australian artists. Um, not emerging, if they're winning arias, they're doing pretty well. But um, it's Maybe kind of, emerging. let's use these guys to go, hey, everybody, look over here. And by the way, you know, we've got these incredible Australians. So it's all about shining light on our local talent. It's not about giving internationals a platform, although great it's fun to see them you know and yep. they're a really important part of the industry yeah and how many opportunities do australian artists have to be on mainstream network tv you know, well there aren't no music many. shows anymore yeah. there's a i mean you know mushrooms doing the sound it's and fantastic. the set happened and there are bits and pieces but um it's a really important night for us to connect with the rest of the world, rest of australia um so yeah, I think next five years I cut you off. When I went next five years, yeah. look, our challenge is going to be reconnecting and connecting with a younger audience. Um, so we're doing the awards digitally, uh, digital only this year, not on free to air TV. Although we will be on Nine now, which is their streaming service, um, and we'll be on um, partnering with YouTube this year, and we're on YouTube. So we've it's kind of given us the opportunity to play with the show a little bit to perhaps aim for a younger demographic. Um, we've been incredibly lucky because the nominees this year are so diverse. You know, you've got the big um, established acts, but you've also got a great diversity in the um, the newer artists that are coming through. I mean, Genesis Owusu and Budra and Nairi and Maya. Um, so that gives us a chance to sort of play with it a bit, maybe try and bring the age demo down a bit, reconnect with the younger audiences. Um, which I think is going to be critical because that's music's audience, right? You guys know better than anyone. Um, so, yeah, and then we'll just keep evolving, keep remain to remain relevant. I guess you've got to look at what's happening around you at the time, what the cultural context is, um, all of those things. It's, it's fun. <laughs> Annabelle, thank you so much for coming in today. It's actually incredibly inspiring to have you as the CEO of ARIA. We love what you're doing. Thank We're you. really, really excited about the next five years. Um, we hope the industry doesn't scare you off before then. Um, <laughs> and uh, I guess we sort of would love to know if you can sort of lead us out. What, when eventually you do leave ARIA, whoever, whenever that will be, what do you want your legacy to be? Uh, look, I would love to leave an industry, and I don't even know if I ever want to leave this industry, by the way, because I think it's pretty amazing, um, and I've only just arrived. But if I were to leave, I would want to leave behind um, an organisation that has been a thought leader, has been a leader in terms of bringing the industry together, cultural change, but more than that, you know, raising the value of music in the eyes of people outside of music, I think. 
Um, so strong Australian music industry with a lot of artists that are succeeding here and overseas, that would be something that you know I would love to be able to contribute to an industry that people really want to work in and they feel safe and you know engaged and want to send their kids into you know when they leave um, and an industry that uh, an industry association that's really connected with music consumers so whether it's kids or whether I mean that's the amazing thing about music isn't it like it touches everybody doesn't matter what age you are doesn't matter what kind of music you like people just love music it's part of everyone's lives it's ubiquitous it's everywhere um, and I think we need to celebrate that more and make more people realize that that is the case outside so it's a bit of a waffly answer, actually. I need to get that no, sorted like a bit it. better. But <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, That's great. Yeah, I mean, there's so much that we can do um, and people are so engaged and they want change. They want to come out of COVID as a stronger industry. I mean, COVID's been so difficult for music and for touring acts, but it is an opportunity for us to come out the other side as a better industry um, and doing things better and I don't just mean that culturally I mean you know in a future uh, forward-looking way um, so yeah that's kind of oh my god what a terrible answer I back it, <laughs> it wasn't I back, I back it. it too Annabelle this is this is, um, this is not an easy podcast to do um, I acknowledge that you have done exceptionally well um, we are very grateful you came and we are very excited about the future at ARIA thank you so much Thank, Thank you, you guys so much. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>